0: morning. Christ Central Church. Happy Father's Day. It's good being here. i uh, just thankful for, for the invitation and the opportunity. Uh, Daniel and I go back. I didn't know it was five years. It seems like time really moves, and we, have, uh, we just have a kindred spirit. I just realize how much alike we are. Um, as he asked me, <laughs> like for the fourth time, are you going to be preaching this Sunday? <laughs> said, yeah, 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 I do the same thing. So, um, just wanting to make sure. So, we're going to be looking at 1 Peter uh, today, if you have your Bibles or your iPhones or your iPads or you can look at the screen or your bulletin, we're going to look at 1 Peter. I'm going to begin uh, in the first verse there. Though you do not see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and fill with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Our gracious Heavenly Father, our God and our King, we pray that you would bless your word this morning, that we might hear it and be transformed by it, making us more and more like our beloved Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name I pray, amen. Don't know whether you know this or not, but when you were born, you were born spiritually dead into a sin-cursed world of pain and suffering. You were born into a world without hope. Now in America, because of advertising and television and the media, we can deceive ourselves into believing that we can make life livable even on this planet now. Yet yeah, we may only have 70, 80, 90 years. My mother is 95. But a televangelist said you can actually have your best life now. But you see, first century Christians did not entertain such an illusion. The average life expectancy was 40 years if you made it past childhood. The infant mortality rate was 50% and most people had many children because half of them would die. There was always the threats of plagues and pestilence and diseases. They didn't n- enjoy our miracle drugs and they were expected to die quickly and soon. Life was hard. And to make matters worse, for this first century set of Christians, they were experiencing persecution from Rome. And it's to these Christians that Peter is writing. In Pontius, Galatius, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, Peter is writing them a letter of hope. In the midst of their difficulties and their suffering, he wants them to have hope. When life was hard and difficult, and they didn't know how long they were going to live, Peter wants to encourage them. He tells them in 1 Peter 3.15 that they should revere Christ as their Lord in their hearts and always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you about the reason for the hope that was inside of you they were to be so filled with hope that people would look at them and say there's something different about you folks in spite of the difficulty you're you're a hopeful people i wonder are we a people of hope we're living in a time of stress societal stress difficulty social tensions and lots of uncertainty Are you filled with hope? I want to talk, obviously, about hope today under three headings. What is hope? What kind of hope does the world offer us? And what kind of hope does God give us? First of all, what is hope? We talk about hope all the time. We have been hoping since we were little children, wanting to be accepted. I hope the other kids accept me. As we went through school, we hoped that the next grade would be better than the one we just went through. As we go on to high school, maybe it will be better than junior high. We hope to get into a good college. We hope to get good grades. We hope that we can get a job. My hope is that the fathers will be encouraged this sermon, although it's not a specific Father's Day sermon, we're hoping all the time. Everyone hopes. We run on hope the way a car runs on gasoline. In fact, hopelessness can lead to suicide. Proverbs thirteen twelve tells us that hope defers, makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. We need hope. We cannot live without hope. Paul Tripp, Christian counselor and pastor, said that we have been hardwired for hope. We project hope. We project our lives out into the future to imagine things as we would like for them to be. We carry around with us personal hopes and dreams and surrender our hearts to some kind of expectation. We silently wish that things could be different from what they are. So much of how we look at life and how we live our lives is connected to the things in which we place our fundamental hope. He goes on to say that hope has three components, an assessment of how life is. It's not that great. We create an object to which we place our hope And then we have an expectation that this thing will fulfill us. Anybody see the Christmas story? I loved watching it every every year. Little Ralphie has a hope, doesn't he? What does little Ralphie want? Little Ralphie wants that BB gun. Even though his parents tell him you're going to shoot your eye out. No, you don't want it. He really wants it. His assessment is that life is okay, but if I had the gun, life would be even better. His object is the gun. His expectation is that now I'm gonna really live when I get it. Well, you know the story and how he goes through this and that, and he it, <clears throat> his his parents try to deceive him, uh, try to talk him out of it, and they give it to him, and he finally finds it, and he gets it, and he plays with it, and he goes outside, and. He almost shoots his eye out. Didn't didn't quite meet uh, his <laughs> expectation. Did you know that what you believe about the future largely governs how you live now? Tim Keller, whom I'm sure that Daniel and Timothy have quoted before, has an illustration that illustrates how. Your future expectation and things that you look at in the future largely govern how you live now. He uses the illustration of two workers working a very tedious factory job that is utterly boring and horrible, horrible work condition. One is promised at the end of a year they're going to get $10,000. And the one other one is promised that at the end of the, of the year they're going to get a million dollars. You think their attitudes were different? The one who's gonna get $10,000 is bored each day, hardly being able to come to work. It's such a drudgery. And the one who's getting a million just kind of comes to work every day, whistling. Oh, it's, because he, he knows what's going to happen at the end of the year. And we see this principle illustrated in the story of Jacob and Rachel. Jacob was promised that he could have Rachel at the end of seven years of labor. And the Bible tells us that they seemed like only a few days because of his love for her. In anticipation of getting Rachel, it seemed like nothing. Your attitude towards life in your present circumstance is largely governed by the things that you put your hope in. What are you placing your hope in? A lot of us place our hope in the things of this world. And the world does offer a kind of hope. But it's a hope that can easily disappoint. And that's why we use the word hope to mean maybe. It could. Wishful thinking. You see, the world was not designed to give us hope in and of itself. Ever since Adam and Eve sinned by eating from the tree of good and evil, there's been a curse on the world. And Romans 8.20 tells us that the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope. Adam and Eve, created to find their hope in God alone, began to look for their hope in all the wrong places. They began to place their hope on the creation. We all have desires and longings for happiness, for purpose, for meaning, for significance, but we tend to put our hope in the wrong things, in circumstances and things of this world. But God did not design the world to, for us to find our final hope There And the Bible warns us against putting our trust there. It says, Isaiah says that why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? The psalmist warns, do not put your trust in princes, in human beings who cannot save. We live in a disappointing world. Many of our hopes have already been dashed. How many of us, I wonder, have been disappointed by family, by our friends, by our spouses, by our government? We all tend to load our hope on things that can't bear the burden. You dream the American dream, if I get the right job, make good money, get the right wife or husband, a house in the suburbs, maybe, Now it's the city, I think. (laughs) Then I can live happily ever after. And a lot of us don't get it, and so we continue to place our hope here. And then others of of us get it and discover that it doesn't fulfill. Jim Carrey, the comedian, said, I think everyone should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed so that they can see that it's not the answer and he's worth $150 million. I googled it. (laughs) Listen to Ecclesiastes as it talks about life under the sun, life here alone. It says, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north and round and round it goes in ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the seas never fall to the place where the streams come from and they return again. All things are wearisome more than they then one can say the eye never has enough of seeing, the ear never has enough of hearing. What has been will will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. And if you are depressed, good. Because there's no life under the sun without God. You see, we were created for God. It is in God in whom we get our hope. In his great mercy, God gives us a living hope. Verse 3 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. If you are a Christian today, you have been born again into a living hope a hope that is alive, a hope that is kept in heaven for you, a hope that is more valuable than a billion dollars. You've been born into a hope that never disappears because according to Romans 5, God has poured out his love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. And whether you know it or not, the thing that you most hope for is that you are loved and God has poured out his love into your heart. But you need to be born again in order to experience this hope. And so I want to ask you today, have you been born again? Has Jesus come into your life? Have you surrendered to him? Have you stopped the struggle of living for yourself? And have you said, I give up. I surrender. You're in charge, Jesus. And if you have been born again, you've been born into a living hope, into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. You know, all earthly inheritance will one day perish, but your heavenly inheritance will never perish. In fact, Peter tells us that we're being guarded by God's power until the day of our inheritance. It's a picture of guards and guards of angels all around you, protecting you. And the realization of this hope needs to change how you live your life now. If you are a child of God, you have a hope that can never disappear. It should change your perspective on how you live. The interesting thing about about this about any kind of inheritance is that if 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 someone promised you their inheritance, you may or may not get it. You know that. And th- they could have a huge portfolio, but the stock market could go down. But the thing about our heavenly inheritance is that it is protected and it is guaranteed, and the proof that it is guaranteed is that Jesus raised his son from. The dead, Verse 3, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again into a living hope. How? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And according to 1 Corinthians 15, the resurrection from the dead makes all the difference in the world. It guarantees us. And so whenever you're in doubt, remember that Jesus was raised from the dead. The dead. Whenever you wonder, just remember that you have a living hope because your hope is in somebody who is alive right now, who is surrounding you right now and protecting you. And your inheritance is not based on whether you've been good. It's not based on your intellect. It's not based on your connections. It's totally based on the grace of God and when you have this kind of hope stored in you in your heart it changes how you live because you know why you know why it changes how you it changes how you live because you know how the story ends it's so great when you know how the story ends have you ever gone to see a movie and you knew the story already and you go with somebody who hasn't and they're jumping and they don't know and it's a mystery and they're kind of on the edge and you know, yeah, I guess piece of cake, because you've seen it already. See, in a sense, we've seen it already. The scriptures tell us how the story is going to end. Life is filled with ups and downs and twists and turns. Think about the story of Joseph and his brothers, if you're familiar with it, how his brothers sold him into slavery and he's, 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 he's there in Egypt and he's in Potiphar's house and his life is down and then he goes to Potiphar's house and Potiphar promotes him and oh, so his life goes up. So he's doing well there and then Potiphar's wife runs after him and then the husband finds out and he's thrown into jail. So his wife's life goes down and he's in the prison and then there's the wine taster and the, and, and, and the baker and he interprets a dream for them and they, he, he's hoping they'll remember it, and maybe his life goes up a little bit, but they don't, life goes back down again. And then he interprets the dream for, for, for Potiphar, I mean, for, for the king of Egypt and the Pharaoh, and uh, his, his life goes up again. That's how our lives are. They take twists and turns. Think about what, what, what Jacob must have been going through, wondering and mourning the loss of his son, his brothers are depressed because they realize they sold their brother into slavery. But we all know it how it ends. He saves them from famine, from, from all those years of famine. They come together and it's a happy ending. We've read the end of the book. We know how our story is gonna end. Have you read Le- Revelation? There's gonna be a new heaven and a new earth coming down from heaven on the earth. There's gonna be a resurrection. We know how the story ends. And when you know how the story ends, you can take the twists and the turns and the difficulties, and you can mourn with those who mourn, and you can rejoice with those who rejoice because you know what it's about. You can look at every circumstance of life as, as sovereignly governed by God. You can say, oh, thank you for teaching me this. And, and, and you, can, you can deal with your sin and you don't have to be depressed because you know how the story ends. Paul calls the difficulties and the trials that we go through a brief momentary affliction. Now, I know they don't feel like they're brief. They don't feel like they're momentary. They're painful. And even Peter says that we can even rejoice in them. Verse 6. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, doesn't seem like a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Peter is telling us that even in the midst of difficulty and suffering on this earth, we can rejoice. And the reason we can rejoice is because every single thing that happens to us is designed to perfect us to make us more and more like Jesus. And although we have this living hope, and although we can rejoice in it, we still tend to go back to the world, don't we? We still c- go back to, I'm trying to find my happiness in stuff. And it could be any stuff. It could be a new house. It could be as simple as a new iPhone. When it comes out, we tend, we, we, we tend to f- try to find our life in things. And that's called idolatry. And in the Old Testament, God would send out prophets to warn the people against idolatry. But for us in the New Testament, Jesus continually warns us to come to him. He goes to the woman at the well who is... Who is had five husbands, and the man that she's living with now is not her husband. He tells her about a living water, because he knows that she's thirsty. When we run after these things, we're running after things to fill our thirst. And he tells her about the living water, who is himself, Jesus. He tells Martha, who had just lost her brother, and she said, you know, Martha is theological. She understands there's going to be a resurrection. Yeah, I know about all that. And he says, wait a minute. I am the resurrection and the life. And he who believes in me will live even though he dies. You see, we have our hope right in front of us, right besides us, even when we pray. Even when we don't pray, he prays for us and prompts us to pray, We have a living hope. And you're going to forget that by the time you get to the parking lot. It's it's amazing how the world, the flesh, the devil just kind of take us down and we forget things so easily. And so I just want to leave you with a few things to remember as you leave. I want to encourage you to ask God to fill you with his spirit so that you can see the reality of the living hope. I want to encourage you to to, to study 1 Peter, to look at 1 Peter because it's filled with a message of hope. I would encourage you to find like-minded believers and, and get a prayer partner and say, pray for me, I don't believe this, I can't see it. I'm putting my hope in all the wrong things. Let the Holy Spirit convict you that your tendency, your natural tendency is to look around you for your hope. Be thankful. Just practice being thankful. We are not naturally thankful. We are very much like teenagers, no offense to any teens here. Our tendency is to take life for granted. So just practice being thankful. Thank you for waking me up this morning. Thank you that, 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 you've, that, that I've got life, I've got friends. I was able to eat this morning. I was able to go to sleep last night. Don't take life for granted. And remember that all biblical hope is a certainty because we believe in a living person who is our hope. I want to end by reading the words of a hymn. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. No merit of my own, I claim but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, our God, our King, we thank you for the living hope that we have in our Lord Christ Jesus and pray, Jesus, that you would sink it into our hearts. Even as we leave today today, Our natural tendency is to look around and find our joy and our hope in the things around us. Help us to realize that our real hope is in knowing you and being filled with you and being directed towards you. If there are any here, even today, who don't know you, who have not been born again, I pray that even now they would surrender their lives to you. And I pray for my brothers and sisters as we all struggle believing these things, that you would fill us with your spirit, enabling us to believe the words of 1 Peter. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.